Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. For those who don't know me, I am Pastor Daniel, and we are going to talk about passing on your faith, which is what everybody up here just said they want to do. They just committed and said, hey, we want to dedicate our children to the Lord. We want to pass our faith on to them. But this message isn't just for parents. It's for parents, grandparents, mentors, people of influence, people who come into contact with others, followers of Jesus. Uh, We are all called to pass on our faith. It is the Great Commission. So we are, uh, I, I started this and realized do you know it'd be really nice if your kids came out with a manual? Like, instead of being, like, followed out by a placenta, it was like, poop, there's a manual for this one. And, like, you do realize that all your kids are different. Like, I have, I've got four kids, and some, they all have, like, different traits, and you're like, okay, that's my fault, that's Amanda's fault, that's... But, but they're different. You would think they came from the same mold, that they would all just come out, like, this is a Vanderclock, like, stamp, and, like... But there is so much difference in each of them. And then how to navigate it is different. And you wish that you came out and it's like, hey, with this one, when they're talking back, here's the way to respond. With this one, here's a different way to respond. And with this one, here's how you respond. And this is how you need to respond from this one from ages two to three, from four to six. And, the, and like the breakdown, because even in amongst the, the, own, the same kid, things change as we go. And as I was looking, going, well, what does the Bible say? How do I make sure that I pass on my faith? And as I begin to look at this, discover there's a lot that the Bible has to say, hence the reason that we're on part four. Um, But it doesn't just apply to parents. It applies in so many areas. And we, we looked at, and I know that some of you guys are new because you came to see somebody get dedicated, or you don't normally come to Sunday nights, but you came because of dedications. So I'm gonna give you a really quick recap slash list of points and you can go oh I need that and you can go back and watch things on YouTube but number one was be on purpose and be involved there will always be more things to do there will no matter how much time you have there'll be plenty of things to fill them but the time that we have to pass on our faith is limited number two model it Model the faith you want to pass on and don't just model, invite them to be a part of it. Number three, correct and redirect. Our culture tells us um, that to disagree is unloving, but that is foolish. To agree with another's demise is unloving. If I love you and I see that you have a booger hanging from your nose, I'm going to tell you. If your fly is down, I'm going to tell you. How much more if I see you destroying your life? If I would consider myself rude to see you with toilet paper hanging from your pants and not say something, how much more so in an area that will cost you eternity? Number four, bless and affirm them in the direction they should go. This is with our words. This is with our actions. This is with our resources. Using them to bless and direct our children. Stop 
the compromise now. Number five, um, the compromise of parents becomes a normal for their children. The compromises of the fathers become the destruction of the sons. There is so much that, that we need to deal with in our own life so that we don't pass it on. Um, number six, tell them what God has done and tell them what you've learned. Your kids do not share your memories that you have not shared. It's so easy to go, well, I learned this, they should just know it. But if you haven't passed it, they don't know it. They don't remember it. They need to, rem to learn the lessons that you learned. They need to hear about the faithfulness of God and what he's done in your life. Number seven, share it kindly. How you say it is as important as what you say. And so we need to learn and we need to choose how we say things carefully. Um, number eight is pray. Whether it's your children, your grandchildren, your cousin, your neighbor, your boss, your whoever, you want to see someone get saved? I was going to like say, prayer, this is especially important for, and then I listed every group I could possibly think of. I thought, you know what, okay, this is just true for all of us. When we pray, it makes such a difference. Now, that's where we're going to pick up for tonight. So number nine, number nine, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but for every mile of road, there is two miles of ditch. And there are some things that when you're teaching, you're just like, okay, just don't do that. If you can just stay away from that, you're fine. Number nine has a wonderful, safe road. But there is a ditch on both sides. So I'm going to address ditch A and then ditch B. So if you hear me and you're like, what? Just wait. There is ditch A and there is ditch B. But number nine, model respect for authority. Model respect for authority. Now, when we, we hear this, it can be, at first it's like, well, yes, all of us want our children to respect us. We're like, yeah, honor your father and mother. We're like, this is the only verse I might know, but by golly, honor your father and mother. But it, it can be so easy to grab onto that and going, this is good. But as we look through our Bible, we see remember them, talking about leaders, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and ready for every good work. 1 Peter 2.13, Therefore submit yourselves uh, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors or to those sent by them to punish evildoers for the praise of those who do good. So we have side A is are we respecting authority. We want to pass it on. And I hear this, this is true in families, but I hear about this from people using this as their license not to come to Jesus, not about their parents, but going, hey, these Christians say this, but they're not following these simple rules. And I, I got looking at this and realized we live in an amazing country. We are so blessed. We have a freedom of speech. Okay, that means you are legally allowed to say stupid things. Um, the Bible says we're going to give an account for everything that we said. And some people confuse the fact that they have the legal right and the biblical um, license are different. 
But there is this tendency because we have the wonderful and amazing privilege to vote. To think that that gives us also the, one, the privilege to say anything that crosses our mind. And one of the things that's, that's sad is it's so common to hear people rip apart those in authority. And they bash them and they complain about them and they tear them apart with their words. And they turn around and their kids talk bad about them, complain about them and bash them. And they're like, where did you learn this? Look in the mirror. I know you didn't vote for them. I know you didn't like them. You don't like them. And, and I got thinking about this and I got looking in the Bible because I have disagreed with political um, leaders. If you haven't, you have never looked at political leaders. Uh, because it doesn't even matter where you stand. There's a bunch of political leaders who stand somewhere different than that, and they do things that you are sure is stupid. And at least some of the time, you're right. But how do I navigate that? And so I was looking, and in Acts chapter 23, Paul has been arrested. And he hasn't even been arrested for the right reasons. Like, he did a lot of things to get himself arrested. Like, he would preach when no one wanted him to, where, like, where it was outlawed, and he, he stood for his faith in ways that could get him arrested. But this time, he got arrested because people didn't like him, and so they, they were like, he's witnessing in other places. Let's attack him. Let's beat him up, and let's kill him. And then they arrest him because he was getting beat up, and then they're like, well, why were they beating you? And it's just drama. But he's now been in jail for a long time, and uh, he's, or I guess this is early on, he's, he's on trial. He said, looking intently at the council, um, and he, he's like, hey, I, I have lived my life before God in good conscience. And he hears a, a leader say, God, um, to have him struck on the mouth. And Paul turns to this guy and says, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? And he just kind of lays into it and makes a fool out of this man. And someone turns and goes, hey, will you criticize the high priest? And Paul's response, like if it was me, my response would probably be, well, he should, if he's the high priest, he should know the law. I don't know. It would be very easy to use that as more ammo to bash him. But that wasn't Paul's response. He sits here and he goes, oh, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. I was like, man. But he was an idiot. Can't I speak evil of an idiot? Like, it's easy when I've got thousands of years here. But sometimes I feel like that here. And maybe it's a president, a governor, a mayor, a policeman, uh, you, you, the list goes on. But how am I speaking about the person in the office? Am I, am I taking apart? I and mean, we have the ability to vote, and it is, it is important that we have the ability to talk about an issue, to talk about a policy. But that doesn't give us the right to badmouth the leader. And when we do, why is it that we're surprised when our children 
disrespect and badmouth the leaders in their life, a.k.a. us. When we've taught them to do so. In fact, this is really, really common in split homes. In homes that's, that are divided, it is easy to vilify the other person. If you loved everything about them, you'd still be with them. So it's so easy. But when we do, what the kids learn isn't what you want them to. The kids normally don't learn when you vilify the ex that the ex is an idiot. They learn that the position of parent means nothing. When we take it as, and we attack this person and their position, and even in a home where you're both there, it is so important that we learn how to honor someone even if we disagree with them and how to navigate this. Kids will learn to play the system. By the time they are four, they know how to play the system. In big ways, small ways, like our kids know in our house, my wife and I are a team. They know that if they ask me and they don't get an answer they like, they may not go and ask her. It did not take them long after they found out that that was, that was the standard to figure out who to ask first. And it depends what they're asking, and they know that. They know with which questions. They're like, this question, like, mom's easier to talk into these things, but dad's more risk tolerant of these things, and they know, like, in simple things, if we're going to eat something, they know who to ask to portion their food. If they like the food, they, it's a dessert, they want dad to portion it. If they don't like the food and it's like a salad or veggies, they want mom to portion it. And... Because they know, they, they know that, hey, there's, here's how much is going to come out. They know how to play that system so fast. We have got to be a team. We have got to honor them even when we disagree with them. And so we have ditch A over here where people sit here and, and just bash rulers because they don't like it, because they don't like them, because they disagree with them. But what about ditch B? And ditch B ends up going, it doesn't, nothing else matters other than their position and gives authority the license to do anything. What ditch B doesn't understand is where authority comes from. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 9, the, there's... This is, this is the, the story of the centurion is what it's frequently referred to. But this, this man comes to Jesus and says, hey, my servant is sick. And Jesus is like, oh, and everyone's coming with him like, he's been so great, he's so helpful, you should heal his son. And Jesus goes to go with him and he goes, oh, you don't need to come with me. Just say the word. And then he says this, he says, for I too am a man under authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes. Now, I expected in my brain to hear, for I too am a man of authority. What I say, they do. So you just say the word, because I recognize that you're authority. But that's not what he said. He goes, 
I too am a man under authority. And he goes, my authority is valid because my authority is underneath the one that is over me. You are walking in an authority. We need to recognize what is the supreme, who is the supreme authority. And when we do that, then we can begin to navigate different problems. We can navigate and we can separate just, hey, this is a person, this is a position, but we go through going, all right, what does the final authority say? And there are spots, the Bible tells us, in fact, in 1 Peter 8, sorry, 8 uh, 5, verse 28, Peter is on trial, and they're, they're like, hey, we're the authorities, and we told you to stop preaching. And he looks back, and he goes, uh, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And he doesn't sit here and go, I'm not going to listen to you because I don't like you. You're old and cranky. He doesn't go, well, I didn't like your policies, therefore I don't listen to any of them. He goes, your rule is in contradiction to the ultimate authority that we're both going to give an account to, and I will live to honor that authority. And he looks, and he removes it from this, do I like you? He goes, no, who is the ultimate authority? It is not that my life is a life of rebellion. My life is submitted to the supreme authority. And in this case, you are trying to use your authority in contrast or against the supreme authority. There are those that are so honored, and, and the, they call this the, the doctrine of the less, lesser magistrate. It is when an authority steps between a higher authority and one underneath it to protect them. Um, Obadiah was a government official under King Ahab. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were incredibly wicked. In amongst the things that they did, they said, let's kill all the prophets of God. And he looked and he goes, that is the authority and they have given a rule. That rule is evil. He went and gathered up a hundred prophets, divided them into two caves. And then out of his personal finance, he made sure that they had bread and water for years as they hid from the king and the queen. And he disregarded and disobeyed the king's command, and he is honored for it. And you look, and you'll find that in Exodus, Pharaoh says, hey, I want to kill all of the young boys that are born to the, the Israelites. And the midwives looked and said, in fact, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 17, it says, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but let the male children live. And you, you find stories of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and we can go through different stories of, of people who stood up and said, I will stand for my faith. I will honor God regardless of what the rule is. But how does that look for us 
It means that if we need to disregard a command, we do it not because we don't like them, but because we take it to the supreme authority. And our kids, if we're going to do this, they should see when you sit here and go, hey, but didn't, the, didn't they just make it this illegal? Isn't this against the, the rule? We can go through and go, yes. This is the rule that they made. But here is God's word and the rule that it laid out. And this is the final authority. Even, like, this, this is the ultimate, but even in some of these others, you can go, hey, that politician is make, they, their authority comes from the constitution in which their command is disregarding. And you take it, not as I don't like them, but where does the authority come from? And you line it up with the supreme authority and what you're doing and you're teaching it and you're showing it to our children. We are setting an example that, hey, I don't just do whatever I want. It's not just, hey, I like this leader. I feel like it. It's, hey, what does the final authority say? We're making good time here. Number 10. Let them learn. Let them learn. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 19. A hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again. In Moffat's translation, it says it this way. It says, a man who is fined is furious, but even if you pay for him, you will have to pay again. Uh, the pain of poor choices is often a critical part of the learning process. However, as a loving and caring individual, it can be very easy to want to rescue someone from the pain of their own stupid choice. And there is a, a place for it, but if we completely remove the pain of their choice, then we have left them numb from life's consequences, allowing them to remain foolish. Um, make sure as a loving parent, you do not curse your kids by causing them to live a life numb of the consequences of their choices. It doesn't mean to never help them, but it means to be mindful that you are helping them grow, not enabling them to remain the same. It doesn't mean never to help them, but be mindful that you are helping them grow, not enabling them to remain the same. And it is so, okay, so easy. You, when you love somebody, you want to help them. And sometimes we try too hard. Parents are guilty of this. Friends can be guilty of this. And we have to recognize that if someone wants to be an idiot, you can't stop them. And at some point, you can help somebody who wants to change, but if they want to continue to be a fool, you may need to let them get burned. And it's not that you don't care, but if they never feel the consequences and they keep going, 
the consequences get worse. And I've sat down with my kids and I, I tell them, I'm like, I'm going to give you this consequence. And I, I've had my kids get mad at me for giving them a consequence. I said, look at me. What you just did to your brother at home, it's going to get you at a consequence. But if you want to fast forward 10 years, do you know what they call that? They call it assault. Yeah, he did something you didn't like, but you just punched him. If you fast forward this, that wasn't your brother, they could turn around and call the police and have you arrested for assault. You could spend a night in jail. Here's the fines for assault. Hey, you look at somebody and it may seem unkind to make them pay this penalty. It may be unkind to, to not bail them out. But it may be more unloving to bail them out. It may be more unloving for them to avoid the consequences of, of drunk driving that are a fine rather than the jail time because they killed somebody. It may be more unloving to just let them go. And, and sometimes we just want to save them. And I don't like to discipline my children. So sometimes I can go too far to rescue them from the consequences that I don't want to give. How many parents, or, or had your parents, count when you weren't listening and you knew that you had to obey by the time they hit three? Okay. That is a flawed system. We realized it was flawed when one of our kids got a consequence and they're like, what do you mean? You haven't counted yet. Because they were waiting and they're like, I can just get away with it. There's no pain until I hear one, two, and then I better move quick. And if I can start moving after two, before they reach three, then I'm going to avoid it and I can do what I want longer. And you're like, this is broken. I was trying to help you, not teach you how to get away with it. But when there is, there's a spot to help somebody who wants to change. But if I bail them out of everything, they don't learn. When my kid, well, my kids are now homeschooled, so if they have a problem with the teacher, now is my problem too. But um, <laughs> there, there's a time where you made a step between a kid and a teacher because a teacher is being um, unjust. Being, it, 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 there's a legitimate problem that is the teacher. But more often than the teacher is the problem, you may need to let your kid face the consequences that they're in trouble because they never turned in their homework. And so many parents are like, my kid is perfect. Let me save my kid. I will make excuses for my kid so that my kid can avoid these consequences. That is not loving. If I let my kid go through life unaware of the consequences of their choices, I have not helped them. If I allow my friend to self-destruct because I constantly am bailing them out and I don't let them feel some of the pain. Now, it doesn't mean don't help people. But I have to ask, am I helping them change or enabling them to remain the same? And you watch People struggle with that one all the time. And it's so easy to try to rescue them, to make excuses for them. And as parents, 
Sometimes we can feel bad when our kid gets in trouble because we think it reflects on us and it's easier to make an excuse. But we need to be willing to help them and to let them feel the pain so that they can change. Leprosy is an awful disease that can cost people their lives. It was a disease in the Old Testament. They they talk about it. I looked up how it works. It makes someone numb. And when someone can't feel, they hurt themselves and don't know it. They get infected because they get hurt and don't know it and they don't take care of it. And I thought from like being a little kid and reading about some different things, I thought leprosy literally made just their bits and pieces fall off of them. But I learned that leprosy killed the nerves and opened themselves up to the other damage and the infections that cause the other parts. And sometimes we're giving our kids a form of leprosy by not allowing them to feel the consequences. Natural consequences are one of the most amazing teachers. Especially if you will lovingly come alongside and go, I am so sorry that this happened. Here's how to learn from this. And when we do, it changes. It allows them to learn. And it allows them to recognize that you're still for them and that God is still for them. Number 11. Okay, full disclosure, I'm working on this one. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Now, I, I thought I was all good until I started looking this up. I'm like, all right, do not provoke your children to wrath. That sounds cool, but what does it mean? Actually, it's, it's said two times in the New Testament, Ephesians 6, 4. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In Colossians 3, 21, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Um, the, actually, the word provoked there is different in those two different verses. And there's a different way that it's done. Um, I'm guilty of number two. Number one um, is to exasperate. Um, This equals being roughed, regularly pricked with things that that elevate. Now, um, when someone regularly pokes at them, messes with them, and I wish I could say that all parents are above this. However, uh, my children pick on each other as a form to establish pecking order. Sadly, I have watched parents pick on their children in a way to put their children in place. And it's really common when kids turn into their teens. I, I could dive into different reasons of why they may do that. But he goes, when you do, you're driving them away. And I have had children come to me. I did a dozen years in youth ministry because their parents who were well-meaning didn't realize out of their own insecurity that they were constantly trying to put their kid in his place and poking and provoking and exasperating their children. But... 
Colossians 3.21 uses a different Greek word. Um, I can't actually pronounce the Greek, so I'll skip that. But if you want to look it up, it's the Greek word 2042. But it says, to stir up, to excitement, to stimulate, or to provoke. And in, it, that same word is used in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2. And he says, I know your willingness about which I boast to you um, of the Macedonians that in Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority or your zeal has provoked up the majority. He goes, your emotional chargedness charged up them. Now in 2 Corinthians, it was a positive thing. But over here, he's saying, is your zeal, is your emotions stirring up theirs? Are you elevating the emotional level? Are, and and I, I got thinking about this. Are we controlling the volume level or leading the amplification? And, and here's where this gets challenging. Um, many times we try to control our children instead of train them. I can control someone with high emotion. I can control somebody by being intimidating or with volume, but that doesn't train them. And if when I am frustrated, I control them with my volume, with my tone, what are they going to do? What are they going to learn? What they learn isn't the lesson that I wanted, that that action wasn't okay. What they learn is that emotions control other people. And what they will learn back to you is how to emotionally charge a situation when they want the control. And I look and I go, okay, there, there is a place for control. And there is a place for training. If your four-year-old is running for the street, it is not the calmly, Johnny, that's a bad idea. If you go out into that road, you could die. No, that is the spot to yell, Johnny, stop! And he sits here and he stops and he starts to cry. And now you go take him, that gets crying, sorry. Um, and you take him aback from the road and then you need to, to bring it down from the emotional level and you need to train them so there is a place where there is a danger and I may need to control for a moment. Not just with a kid. If I saw that my wife was about to grab a pan that I knew I just turned off the stove, I'm not going to go, oh, hey, love, be careful. That pan's probably 400 degrees. I'm like, stop! And she's going to be like, Hoo! Like, you are about to get fried. That pan is 400 degrees. There is a loving place for that and a, a proper place for that emotionally charged that should pause something. But the problem is that out of laziness, we tend to use it as the go-to rather than as the, hey, this is the emergency stop 
when everything needs to freeze before the training can happen. And it becomes so easy to go, it is easier to control their action or to stop them by being loud, by being um, emotionally charged, but that's not training them up. And when he sits here and he goes, hey, and he's telling me how to pass on my faith, he says, do not provoke them. And people don't do just this with their kids. People do this with their spouse all the time. They work to try to control their spouse by being louder and more intimidating or being louder and being more emotional as a form of manipulation. As a follower of Jesus, what's supposed to mark me is not that I yell louder. It's that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we have to recognize, are we trying to control or to train? Are we charging the emotional environment or are we de-escalating it? It is easier to control than it is to train. But training lasts a lifetime. Controlling produces resentment. Unless it is quickly followed up by training. If I control you, if I, if I holler at my wife all the time, she's going to resent that. If I holler and then say, hey, there was a great danger there. You were about to get burned. If, then she's like, oh, well, thank you for saving me. Are we controlling or training? Are we controlling or communicating? Because it's all too easy to fall into the trap of control, of volume, of emotion, rather than going, hey, let's work through this. Not just I want to win, but let's work through this. Um, and number th- 13, no, sorry, tw- 12, I want to skip 12, all right. There, there is so much in 12. 12 is like an entire message in and of itself. But the story of the prodigal son is an amazing story. And in this story, the father did five things. His son, if you don't know the story, it's in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. And this father, I would love to share all five things and we'll get into all five on another time. But you you need to see that the son cursed the father. He he said here, came up to his dad and was like, hey dad, you're taking too long to die. I want my half inheritance. Give it to me now. And when you watch this story unfold, the son, the father splits the inheritance between his kids. 
The, the, the younger son takes his, liquidates it, and takes off. He goes, lives this crazy wild party life until he runs out of money, ends up in a pig pen. And after he ends up in a pig pen, finally he's like, you know what? This is bad. I am jealous of a pig. The pig has better food than I do. My dad's servants eat food, good food. And I'm jealous of pig slop. He says, I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back. I'm going to beg. I'm going to plead. I'm going to tell my dad I'm no longer worthy to be his son and ask him to make me like one of the hired servants. When he gets back, as he, as he comes to his dad, his dad sees him a long way off. His dad runs to him. And he sits here. He goes, Dad, I'm not worthy. And his dad hugged him. His dad received him and brought him back into the family. His dad forgave him. Number 12, forgive. His father had every right to call out every mistake that he had made. But his father let the past go into the past and he forgave him. The amount of people who need my Jesus who've done awful things is insane. The amount of people who've hurt you in fact, if you have children, the odds that they do something that is hurtful is high. If we want to pass it on, we have to model the forgiveness. This is the forgiveness. Jesus tells this story as an example of the Father. He says that, hey, we may be broken. We may have done everything wrong. We may have rejected him. But still he sits and he waits. He says, will my children come home? And when we do, he says, I still love you. And I want to forgive you. That's the, the example we want to follow. But if you're here and you say, you know what? I may be that son. I may be the child of God that's lost. Maybe I've been in church my whole life. Maybe my life's been a mess and this is my first time in church. But if you have not received that forgiveness, you need it. And Jesus said, hey, I'm the perfect father. And I stand here with my arms wide, ready to wipe away and to forgive your sins. In fact, he's, he, he gives this invitation. He says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock and whoever calls on my name, will be saved. Anyone who responds to my invitation to make me Lord will be saved. So that's what I want to do tonight. And if you say, hey, if, if I need to pray that, I want to invite you to pray that with me. If you've done this before, then you can declare that Jesus is Lord with us. And then I'll give a chance for those who said, hey, I did that tonight to identify themselves and say, hey, I made Jesus my Lord. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here, you say, today, I want to make him my Lord or you've done it before, just go ahead and say this to me. Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. 
I repent for my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid the price for my sins. I believe he rose again victorious over death, sin, and the devil. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my King and my Lord. And I will no longer live for myself. I will live for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.